Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are bringing hope and impacting our community by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe your life will be transformed through this week's message. So let's jump right into it. Awesome. It's great to see you this morning. Wow, we're not a great set of worship this morning. Didn't you enjoy that? Man, I love that song, God is Working Out. Wow. It's great to see all of our family online watching from so many different places. We welcome you today. We hope that uh, soon you'll be able to be with us, visit with us if you're from not around here. Or uh, if you are here, we pray that you'll get back in the house where God wants you to be. Hey, yeah. Would you like some good news this morning? So, you know, we've been, we raised the money for our missions and we've been sending that out little by little. And so uh, we just uh, learned that this week as we sent out $25,000 to proclaim, remember those little proclaimers that has a scripture on them getting everywhere. And just as we got ready to send ours this month, Tim got in a call from them and said, hey, if you guys are thinking about giving, we have a giver that's going to double everything that's given. So our 25 grand went up to 50 grand as we're able to get those proclaims out. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And now our mission team, they landed in London and they're on their way, the long trip now down to South Africa. So please remember them as they'll be praying this week. Hey, we're going to continue today with our series about dreams. I hope you've enjoyed that. I've been getting a lot of good feedback. People saying, man, here's a dream I feel like God has given me. Here's what I, w- I think he wants to do with my life. And I'm so excited about that. So I hope that this series has been beneficial to your life. Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your working it out for your glory. Lord, we thank you for all of those who are serving today on this campus. And we thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here and those that are watching. We thank you for the faithfulness of people that every Sunday, Lord, they put you first place in their life. Now, Lord, as we continue in this series today, I pray you'd help me to say what you want me to say. Don't let me to say anything you wouldn't want me to say today. And may you be glorified. May the saints be edified and may the devil be terrified today in the name of Jesus. So a little boy was in the sixth grade. He was living a very uh, poverty-stricken life. He had a low-income family. He was wearing hand-me-down clothing, stuttering, struggling through school. But his teacher one day asked all the students, write down on a piece of paper your name and then what you feel like you want to do with your life. So the young boy wrote down that he wanted to be on TV and make people laugh. The teacher opened up all the notes and she began calling the student's name out and she began telling about the dreams they had. So she opened up Steve's and she looked at it and she said, Stevie, come up here. She said, why would you write down on a piece of paper what you did? She said, did you write this down that I want to be on TV and make people laugh? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, have you ever known anyone from our city that's been on TV? No, ma'am. Do you know anybody in your family that's ever been on TV? No, ma'am. Then I want you to take this paper home and I want you to write something realistic down on the paper that you can accomplish. After all, you even stutter. 
The boy went home that night. He showed it to his dad and he said, I thought I did the assignment right. And his dad said to him, thank God for dads that never tell somebody you can't do something that God puts on your heart. He said, son, here's what I want you to do. Take that note and every morning I want you to read that dream. And every night before you go to bed, I want you to read that dream. And I want you then to apply yourself to seeing this dream come to fulfillment. Well, he did. And as an adult, Steve then uh, made it onto TV, wrote several books, known a lot of times. And every year at Christmas, until the teacher died, Steve Harvey sent a brand new TV to his teacher. He said, I want her to be able to see me as I am on TV. Wow. I think... I really think that buried deep on the inside of all of us is a, is a need for significance, a need to believe that what I do makes a difference for my family, for myself, and for God. And I believe it starts with a dream that God wants to put into our heart. So when we're talking about dreams, I'm gonna, I, I try to clarify that. Because sometimes when people talk about dreams, they think about those thoughts or images that we get when we're sleeping, right? Thoughts or images while we're sleeping, and many times they're nightmares. And uh, I would say probably about 99% of the dreams that we dream would really be God dreams. And then there are those dreams, those desires and ambitions that we have while we're awake. Uh, that's those things we say, you know, I, I have, I've been dreaming about, or I think I'd like to do this. I've always wondered, I've always seemed to have a passion for this. And it could be sometimes out of that, God helps us to understand our God-given dream. But what I'm talking about in this series is God-given dreams. And by that, I mean this, the purpose, the mission or the plans that God created for you to fulfill. Isn't that amazing? The scripture said, before the foundation of the earth, God knew us. I mean, you know, think about that. Before you were ever born, God knew that you would be born. He knew all of your giftings, all of your abilities. And in that, he put a spiritual DNA for you to do something specific that would make a difference and that you would feel like that your life is significant. Let me add to that. I really believe that a God-given dream or a vision or a mission is a divinely given picture. Say picture. It's a divinely given picture of what could be or should be. It's a picture of a God-inspired need of a God-inspired need. Sometimes, that's how, that's how sometimes inventions happen. Because somebody say, you know, there should be a way that that could happen easier. Or there should be a business in our community that would take care of that. And so you say, well, here's, here's a need. And you, and you see that, you see that need. You say, you know, I, I believe I believe that with my giftings and my talents that I could create a company that would meet that need. And in the midst of that, then you give God glory because you say, but God, it could never happen, right? So today I want to look at the story of a guy by the name of Nehemiah. 
because it's a true picture of a young man who saw what could be and should be, he saw a need. I love, I love the story of Nehemiah because uh, it's really not about that he ever did great miracles, like he never parted the sea and walked across on dry ground. He never walked on top of the water. But Nehemiah saw a need in God's church in God's house and he couldn't get he couldn't get he couldn't get rid of that dream that need that why isn't somebody doing something about that why isn't somebody helping to fulfill what God wants to do so when you read the story of Nehemiah and if you have your bible turn with me to Nehemiah chapter chapter 9 a uh, chapter 1 rather Nehemiah Nehemiah, Esther, Job, in, oh, Job in your Bible. You can find him there, okay? I'd like you to try to find that because I'm going to be looking a good bit of passage in chapter 1 and also in chapter 2. Let me give you a little background to the book of Nehemiah. Those of you that have been doing the YouVersion Bible study plan with us know that we've already walked through a lot of this. And if you haven't joined us with our YouVersion plan, you can go to our website and sign up because we'd love to have you join with us on a daily reading through the Bible to discover more about God's people and to discover about Jesus. But do you remember as you began reading in the Old Testament, you find that God was leading his people out. He wanted to do some amazing things in their life and they kept failing him. And they'd cry out to him and God would give them mercy. And then they'd say, okay, they'd do good for a while. Then they would fail him and they would fail him. Because of their constant disobedience and failure, God allowed the king of Babylon to come in and to destroy the temple, to destroy the city and lead many of the children of Israel into bondage. And they were in Babylon, a city far, far away. And then it wasn't long after that till the king of Persia conquered Babylon. And now the king of Persia has all of these Jews that are in captivity. But God moves upon his heart and he allows a group of Jews to leave Persia and to leave the area of Babylon where they're in captivity and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. So one of Nehemiah's brothers, Hananiah, was one of those Jews. And so one day as Nehemiah is serving the king, now Nehemiah is a young Jewish boy who makes good. He's in captivity. He's, he doesn't get to do whatever he wants. He's serving the king of Persia. But he's kind of got this cush job. He gets to sample wine and food all day long. He's called the king's cupbearer. That was very strategic because kings in that time, everybody wanted to uh, overthrow them. So they would poison their food. They would poison their drink. So the king's cupbearer was with him more than anybody else. And before the king would drink, he would try the, the wine. And if, he didn't, if Nehemiah didn't keel over, then the king would drink. Or they'd bring the food out. And, so that means he got the best food. And so he'd eat the food. And if he didn't keel over, then the king would die. I don't know what the lifespan was for <laughs> cupbearers back then. But just think about this now. Young Jewish boy makes good. He's got a cush of a job. He's living in the palace. He's got it made. And uh, not only that, but he's like an advisor to the king. 
because he spends more time with the king than anybody else. And so some informal things, the king would say, hey, Nehemiah, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And Nehemiah was often able to do that. So Nehemiah is going about his ordinary life when all of a sudden God sends a God moment into his life and changes him forever. Let's look at this. You have to care enough to ask. We're going to learn some principles today. So in chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to read verse 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chishlev, that's the month of December, if you want to jot that down. In the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel. Shushan was the capital of Persia, that's where the king was. And he said, when I was in the citadel, he's basically saying, hey, not trying to brag, but I was living in the palace. Uh, I, was, I was living it up there. Good Jewish boy makes good with his life. And he said, it came to pass that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came, and he came from Judah. He returned all the way from Jerusalem. And he said, I asked. See, sometimes discovering God's dream will come when you begin to ask the right question at the right time. He didn't ask, hey, how, 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 how do you feel like when you look at me like I'm a successful person? But he said, I ask concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Notice, he asked about the place, Jerusalem, and he also asked about the people. You see, a God-given dream is always going to be about not just the church, but also the people that make up the church. And, and he said, and they said to me, the survivors who are left in captivity in the province are in a great distress, say great distress. And in reproach, the walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Now the walls have been broken down a total of 140 years right now. But they went back specifically to rebuild because if you didn't have walls, you had no protection. If you didn't have gates, you couldn't keep the enemy out. Nehemiah said, so when I heard the words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 11, O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Would you underline that phrase, your servant? And the prayer of your servants, underline that again. Desire to fear your name. Let your servant, underline servant again. Let your servant prosper. That word there also means to be successful. Let your servant be successful, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, in the sight of the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. Notice what he says. I want you to know very clearly, I am a servant. My life is all about serving. You see, a God-given dream is not about you. See, I, I, I see people that start off in church I see so many Hollywood singers and musicians and actors started out in the church, but then they get so preoccupied with their dream 
They turn their back on what God is doing through the church and through God's people. And they don't no longer ask a question as a servant would ask. A servant would ask his master, what do you want to do with my life? What is a dream? How can I help accomplish what you have? But someone who's not a servant, might start, they might start off as a servant. Then they say, oh, but I've got this dream and I can see how I'm going to be famous. I can see how I'm going to do this and I can see how I'm going to do that and how I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden, a God-inspired need that they really had becomes no longer about being a servant and how that I can help his church and build his kingdom, but it becomes a platform. But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, I asked the question, how's it going? You see, a dream, a God-given dream is bigger than you can accomplish on your own. If you can accomplish your dream on your own, that's not a God-given dream. And it'll bring glory to God. Here's what I know. I know some, I know some young men and young women that have a God-given dream and they're very successful in life. And I was concerned about this the other day. I was praying. I was praying specifically for a young man that I know. And I said, Lord, I know. He showed me the notebook that he had, the pictures that he had of the dream, that a vision. And I see how the God is using him. And then I thought, but God, he's not giving you glory for that. And, and that song did it for me this morning. Even when I can't see him, God is working. You see, you may be successful in this world, and you think, man, I've got it made. I've got it. But you see, you're coming to the place that God's going to touch your heart one day, and you're going to realize the only way I'm successful is because of God. And you start giving God the glory, and you start putting him first, and you start using those finances that he's brought into your life to build the kingdom, and then it all comes together. But sometimes it starts in the very beginning that you just have a God-given dream and the success in that area, but there comes a time when God hooks up at that place Wow. And they see it'll bless and benefit others if you have that dream. It's not just for you, but it will give significance to your life. Here's what I want you to fill in in your notes. A God-given dream can often begin as a need that you see. Here's what you'll say. You know, somebody ought to do that. A God-given dream will begin as a need. Somebody ought to, somebody ought to create a tool that would make this happen. Have you ever thought about that maybe God wants you to be an inventor of things? Somebody ought to write a song that would say that. Somebody ought to care for the poor. Somebody ought to do this for our community. And so that needs, but you see, it's not just a passing thought. You know, sometimes I'll see, you know, like I'm not a great animal lover. Some of you are. My administrative assistant, Maggie, anything in life that's an animal. She's our, she's, our, our, uh, she's our snake handler here at church. We have snakes that get in the building. Me and Tim, we're gonna go get our gun and shoot the silly thing. <laughs> Maggie said, I'll take care of it. So she'll round up the snakes, she'll take it out. We had cats underneath the old building out here. I wanted to shoot the things. <laughs> I know, so she sets a trap, takes care of the cats, move all that. You know, every once in a while, I'll see a post and I'll see a poor dog it's been run over, and somebody say, does anybody know this beautiful dog? I found her at the side of the road. She got hit. And there's a passing fancy in me says, oh, but not oh enough 
that I would be the one that stopped to pick up the dog that's dying beside the road. That's just not me. So there are times that I have that, oh, feeling, but it doesn't stick with me, right? It just goes on. But there are other things that I feel the oh for. And I dream about it at night, and I dream about it in daytime. How could I make a difference in that? Do you hear what I'm saying? A God-given dream does not always be that difficult. It starts with a need that you see, a desire that you see that you want to help somebody. But we have to care enough to ask, God, I'm your servant. How can I help build your church? How can I help build your kingdom? How can these gifts that I have be used for you? Not, oh God, show me that dream that I become famous and everybody goes to see me at the movies or buys my record or buys my book or buys something else. No, it's, God, how can, how can, this, how can this thing that's stirring in my heart, does, does that make sense? Does that make sense? So number one, care enough to ask. Number two, care enough to pray. Nehemiah's concern over the need in Jerusalem consumed him and he couldn't get out of his mind. Look at, look at again back in verse four and verse 11. I'm not gonna read it right now, but I want you to look at these verses. He said, I sat down. Sometimes all of the action that we're doing, we need to just stop. We need to just stop and identify with God and identify with people that are in need and just sit there for a while and listen to God. Because you see, we try to figure it out, don't we? I mean, we immediately kick in to get, well, how can I make that happen? Let's see, who do I know that can make that happen and I can put this together and I can put that together and I can put something else. Maybe God wants you to sit down for a while and to pray about it. This prayer that we're gonna read right here, he spent four months praying before he ever had an opportunity to share his vision. Four months. So he said, first of all, I sat down. And second of all, notice what he does. He said, I wept. I wept. That word there, wept, it means I deeply grieved. Why? Because God's church, God's kingdom was in a, in a mess. And God's people were hurting. And there was a reproach. And he said, I mourned for several days. The Hebrew word there is abal. It means to mourn, turning to action. It's not feeling sorry, but it's mourning in such a way that he's mourning and as he's praying, God begins to change the mourning into sort of what we sing. Sometimes he changes my mourning into dancing. He's showing an action. Nehemiah, you can make a difference with this. Maybe the gates have been down for 140 years, but there's some... We don't, he's never been a business leader. He's never, he's not a preacher. He's not a, he's not a priest. He's an ordinary person that shows up in life doing ordinary work and God gives him a defining moment of a dream. And he said, I began to fast. Not fasting to get over, but a fasting to bring focus. And Lord, how can this make a difference? And then he said, and praying. See that word praying? It's the Hebrew word pala. Say pala. P-A-L-A-L. It's, listen to this. It's, it's the kind of prayer that puts its focus on the cure. 
In other words, it's not a morning. Oh, I'm so sorry. God's church is such a mess. People in such a mess. They're druggies. They've been everything else. They're, they, you know, they're doing that. No, it's, but it's prayer that begins to pray and sees a focus of God being able to meet that need. I think some of our prayers are just complaining to God, but he's saying, God, I, I know you're in this. I know there's something that happened. Notice he doesn't want to get over it. He doesn't try to forget it. But he says, I'm praying. And it's a four-month-long prayer. And what is he doing? He's listening. He's listening for, what can I do? When can I do it? And how can I do it? And number three, he cares enough to commit. Say commit. commit. Listen, let's be honest. Nehemiah, if he were like a lot of us, could have simply said, oh, I'm deeply concerned. And he could have stayed in Persia. I mean, after, he's got a cushy job. The reason a lot of you never do anything significant for God is because that you're in a comfort zone. Well, I just got so much going. I've got so much, so I'm just going to pray. Yeah, I know God has blessed me as a musician. God has blessed me with a voice. But, but, you know, I've just got so much. I don't know that I could come out on Thursday night and rehearse. Oh, God, just bless the team. Just bless the team. Just bless the team. Just bless the team. He cared enough to commit. If he had stayed in Persia and said, well, maybe I'll just send some extra money. Maybe I'll organize a prayer group that can do this. If he had done that, we would have never heard any more about Nehemiah. There would be no book Nehemiah. Why? See, the difference was not that he just had a God-given dream, but he committed to action to that dream. Some of you are this close, this close defining the significance in your life. You've been looking at money. You've been looking at education. You've been looking at your business. You've been looking at so many different things. You're this close from that God-given dream and committing to see that dream come to fruition. Look at this. So he cared enough to commit. He didn't want to run ahead of God, so he spent four months in prayer. Now look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So now he's been praying, waiting on God for four months. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, which is the month of April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. In other words, I put wine before him and I tasted it, make sure so I didn't die. I took the wine, gave it to the king. Now had never been sad. Look at that word sad. It's the word raw. It was illegal to be sad before a king. Why do you think the kings had court gestures? Because they felt like the sadness was evil and there was a dark spirit. So if you were sad before the king, you got your head chopped off below your chin. So when Nehemiah says, I, this thing had so gripped me at a time when I was supposed to be joyful before the king, wine was set. I was raw. I was sad. Sad, why? Because I knew I was blessed and I knew I was in the palace, but I kept thinking how that God's church was in need 
of what he had put inside of me to make a difference. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing more but sorrow of the heart. Look at this. So Nehemiah says, I became what? Why was he dreadfully afraid? Because he knew the next thing the king could say, you're out of here. Your head's mine because you know it's illegal to be sad in my presence. But thank God for a king who saw something in a child of God that wasn't just normal. He said, the king said, why are you so sad? Now, Nehemiah has a chance here. He has a chance to be committed or he has a chance to back away. He could have said, I really am sorry, king. Please forgive me. I had pizza last night, and it wasn't, it wasn't from Pizza Hut. It was from that knockoff place over there, and, and it just made me sick. But I promise you, if you give me another day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never be that way. He could have easily said that. He, you ever seen people on a pair, on a, on a what do you call it? Um, no, when they in the circus. Trapeze, there it is. And so, and the other person's over there, and they're swinging back and forth. And so I've, I've often thought, I wonder what it took the first time when that person would let go of the trapeze, sail through the air, and hope the person would catch them. That's a picture of where some of you are right now. You've been swinging back and forth, knowing what God wants to do in your life, but you've never felt enough to commit and let go. So what will Nehemiah do? Will he hold on to the comfort zone, or will he commit? So he said, I was dreadfully afraid, but I said to the king, made the king live forever. In other words, don't take my head off. Why should I, my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's lies in, in ruins and the gates are burned. Then the king said to me, what do you request? You see, some of you are trying to figure out your dream without God opening a door for you to be able to walk through that. The king is saying to him, carte blanche. All right, I've watched you as you've been faithful and what's stirring in your heart now is beyond me. And so I'm gonna ask you, what do you need to take care of this dream that you have in your heart? So he said, oh wow, he said, what do you need? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now he's been praying for four months, but this is one of those quick prayers that we pray. Help me, Lord. <laughs> I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you will send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him was probably queen mother, which would be Esther. And I could share that with you sometime when you do our Nehemiah class. How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set a time. He said, how long are you going to be gone? I set a time plan, 12 years. Where did he get all of this? He got it in the four months that he'd been praying for God to open the door. He had a dream. He didn't know how it would happen. How can you make that happen? How can a Jewish boy like me? I'm not a contractor. I don't know anything about it. I don't work for PSL. I don't know anything. How can I ever rebuild? I'm not a leader. Nobody is. I'm not a pastor. Nobody in my family. But it was stirring. He could see how that it could be. But it had to be God opened the door for him. 
So he said, uh, excuse me, could I ask you a couple other things? Uh, would you give letters of permission to grant me into that region so nobody stops me? And would you uh, send a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he would give me t t uh, uh, timber for all of this? And the king granted them to me according to the good hand. The word actually there is the favor. According to the favor that was on me. There's a quote in the middle of your notes. Would you read it with me? I would rather die for a worthy cause than live for no reason. I'd like for you to meet a, a young man who God put a dream in his heart to make something happen. And uh, he made a commitment to do that. Alan Reisman, one of our city commissioners in Leesburg. Al, would you come on up? So, Alan. Yes, PT. A city commissioner. <laughs> now, are you like the youngest city commissioner they've ever had? Uh, there was one previous who was beat me by two years. Two years. Wow. How old are you? Uh, 33, be 34 in July. 34 in July. Yeah, wow. Now, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do as a city commissioner. So as a city commissioner, we oversee the budget, um, the growth in the city, um, and things like that. Okay. And... Uh, and so if I understand the way that our system is set up, then that means that in a couple of years you could be mayor. So, yeah, we don't elect a mayor. We take turns. So um, I'll probably be mayor my third term, my third year. <laughs> mayor Allen, won't that be awesome? Wow. So tell me about how this dream started, because I, you have a regular job, right? I do have a that regular makes, job. That pays the money, because being bills. a city commissioner doesn't pay <laughs> it the doesn't bills. doesn't pay. Uh, so you have a job. What do you do? I work for Firehawk Helicopters out at the Leesburg Airport. Awesome, awesome. So now tell me a little bit about how this dream started in you to uh, get involved in political arena, which we should all, all really pray for you, right? Yeah. How did the dream uh, start? About 12 years ago, um, the city commission was making decisions without us knowing. So we didn't want that to happen for our business again, so I made a commitment to start attending every meeting. I think I can count on one hand the amount of meetings I've missed. Wow. So I wanted to be a, hold them accountable and get up and speak and fight for what was right. Wow. And so you, you, you ran a couple of years ago. What happened with that? I ran two years ago, and I lost. You lost. Um, a lot of people questioned me staying committed, mm -hmm. and uh, I said I wasn't doing it for the recognition. So... Yeah. So um, tell me uh, how that, that, I guess if you have a dream like that, then it becomes really easy when you would run again, right? Yeah. I saw the need, so I, I, knew, I knew it was the right thing to do. So I ran, uh, well, I, I've been running for four years. Mm -hmm. I never quit running. I always stayed involved. And, uh, now you are, you are representative I here. Am. This, this church area. is in my district, yeah. yes, sir. All right. Um, no, go ahead. How, how did you not get away from that? I mean, you, you're a young man. You've got a lot of stuff to do. Why would you want to go to those stupid meetings and <laughs> hang out with all those, those liars yeah. and friars and, and, and people that want to push their way through the good old boy system? And it was definitely a good old boy system. I hit a, a ton of roadblocks. This was not an easy thing. Yeah. Um, this, this last election, before I even ran, I ran, uh, there was some major roadblocks. I had an opponent who was not doing the right thing. So I sought counsel from you. Yeah. He's actually lying about where he lived. He lied about where he lived. He lied on all of his documents. He changed all of his documents the day before qualifying ended. So I sought counsel from Pastor Terry and um, 
I just I ch- said kick his butt. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I challenged it, and the authority in the city told me to pretty much go pound sand that they weren't going to do anything. Wow, that they weren't going to move on it. They weren't going to move on Even it. Even though he's lying, and they knew he was lying. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I kept challenging it and kept pushing and kept pushing. I called all the current commissioners. I was challenging them to do something. One of the other cur- the current commissioners goes, you better be careful. That guy could be your boss one day. Um, oh. So I had to write a letter. Um, we were going to have a court meeting as, at the city hall. And as soon as he knew that he was going to have to come present himself and prove where he lived, where he lived and things like that, he backed out. Wow, wow. So now you, uh, you've become a city commissioner. And what are some of the joys or what are some of the things that you feel like that you've actually been able to accomplish? Just calling people out. Asking the questions, and I really surely enjoy- not a junior commissioner. <laughs> you would hold, you would hold people accountable. Yeah, they kind of wow. laugh at me, but then I ask the questions. Uh huh. It's they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, but because um, you show it on paper. Yeah, yeah. I do the research. Wow, wow. So, tell me a little bit about your uh, what brought you to the father's house. A friend brought me here a couple years ago. Um, grew up in church, was saved at a young age, but I wasn't getting fed there. I was just going to church to go with my parents. <laughs> and uh, when I found this church, it felt like home. Wow. I started getting involved and uh, rededicated my life to God. Amen. And it's from yeah. the rest is history. Now, if, if, and in our conversation, you know, you, you shared with me that it's not just about seeing the right plans and the right procedures, but it's just part of the care, is it care for, for the people. For the people, listening to the people, understanding them, meeting them in publics and having that one-on-one conversation yeah. with those people to take their needs to city council. So what are you doing to guard yourself from being one of those people? You start off as a rookie, you start off with a real sensitive heart for the needs of people. Then what do you have in place that's going to keep you from being a hardened politician that you are only thinking about you, not thinking about the people. When I have God on my side, all right, he's checking me, and then I have an accountability team around me as well. Good, 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 awesome. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? So my goal is to do eight years at city council, and then I'll do eight years at county, and uh, some have said that maybe even governor. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever the Lord takes me. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Hey, let's give Alan a hand, all right? We need to pray for him. I've been to some of those meetings. Seriously, for our city. Now, you say, yeah, I got this need. I feel this need. Let me just share some observations with you to sort of take some pressure off of you. Here's one. You want to jot this down in your notes. Not everybody's going to see the need. I mean, if you work with the kids next door, you think, why doesn't more people come and work with these beautiful little kids? Well, some of them are lazy, but some of them others don't see a need. They see a need for the worship team. They see a need to run the golf cart and pick up somebody that can't hardly walk. They, they see. So not everybody's going to see the need. Second of all, some people see the need, but they won't do anything about it. They'll see the need. Do, do you see? We have, a need for, we have a need for people out in the parking lot that would help park cars. and. Yeah, I, I see the need. 
but I'm just so busy. I'm, I'm, I'm so busy. Yeah, I see the need that somebody ought to do something in our, in our community, but, you know, politics? Uh, you know, I'm just going to stay safe. And then the other thing I want you to know is that God often shows you the need before he shows you the answer, the how. Boy, that's a tough place. I see the need, but how will this work out? I, don't tell me that Nehemiah understood that the king would say to him, what resources do you want? I think probably the best Nehemiah thought the king would just get ticked off at me and he'll let me go and I'll have to come up with the resources. God will often show you the need before he shows you how that he's gonna help you accomplish that need. So close your eyes this morning. Let me ask you a question. What's bothering you? What has God placed on your heart? What do you see that troubles you? What do you believe that somebody could make a difference in this area? Pay attention. A dream often begins with a concern and that concern becomes a burden. I want you to identify that burden this week. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that you designed us all to live a life of purpose. You've given us a unique giftings and a contribution to make. And Lord, you're, uh, you've given some of us a burden, a concern, a passion that could become a God-given dream. And Lord, you're calling people today in this house and online to invest their life for eternity and to use the energies and the giftings that you've given them to accomplish something for you of significance. So Lord, I pray for every person in this house today, Lord, that they can accomplish the dream that you've given them. They had every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you another question. Maybe you're here today and you know the the first step in your life is to get connected or reconnected with Jesus. You've been so preoccupied with things in life or where you are in life. And you just really have drifted away from living a life of significance and living a life of purpose for God. You've been living a life to make money, to make a reputation for yourself. You've been just scraping by, getting by. But today the Lord Jesus would say, let me be the director of your life. Because you see, inside of all of us that are here, and those of you that are watching online, is a vacancy, a vacuum that's empty. And there's only one thing that can fill that, and that's the Spirit of Jesus. I know we want to do good. I, I know we want to be right. But we can't do that on our own. We need Him. Jesus loved you so much. Tim talked about it a few minutes ago that He left heaven and He came to this world. He lived a sinless life 
and he went to a sinner's cross to carry your sins and my sins. But death couldn't hold him. On the third day, he came forth so that as many as called upon him could be saved, could have a life. So this morning, for those of you that are in the house and those of you that are watching online, if you're here and you say, you know what, today, Terry, I know that I am separated from God. My sins have separated me, I, and I feel like a million miles away from him. And I sure would like to be close to him. I, I really would like to make things right. I, I would really like the assurance that my heart is right before him. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me and say, Terry, that's me. I need to pray today. I need to surrender my heart to Jesus. Today's the day that I need to do that, to draw closer to him. Just lift your hand and let me pray with you this morning. Those of you that are watching online, yep, that's me today. I, I need to do that today. That, this is the day. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray for those of you who raised your hand or didn't raise your hand today, but you know in your heart that you're separated, alienated from God, and he's drawing you today. Would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I ask you to forgive me my sins and to come into my life. As best as I know how, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you said that prayer and surrendered your life to Jesus, it's the best decision you will ever make, and we would like to celebrate with you. We have some tools to help you on your journey. Simply text DECIDED to 352-329-2301. That's 352-329-2301. Join us next time as we continue to love God, love people, and make disciples.